0: the media called it uh, the dance of danger. That phrase referred to the construction workers who built the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, how many of you have ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge? Raise your hand. A few of you. Uh, We went back in 1985. Uh, We were visiting Jonathan, and by the way, it's good to have him here today. Uh, It's good good to have him. Awesome. Uh, We visited Jonathan back in 1985 uh, when he was at the uh, language school for the Navy. And the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge was difficult uh, when they built it. Due to high winds in the Bay Area and the height of the bridge, uh, towers, the swaying of the catwalks, uh, it was really a dangerous endeavor. Engineers in 1932 designed some safety measures for... Uh, that bridge, and they were strictly enforced. Things like mandatory use of hard hats, prescription uh, sunglasses, tie-off lines, and even an on-site hospital. But in the 1930s, the rule of thumb was that, uh, that if the bridge was a million dollars, you would lose one worker to death. And every time it went up by another million, you'd lose another worker. Well, the Golden Gate Bridge cost $35 million, and so those who worked on it knew that about 35 of them were not going to uh, live. During the early construction period, that's exactly what happened. Eleven construction workers fell to their deaths. Afterwards, the chief engineer, Joseph Strauss, said, we need to change this, and they added a safety net underneath the bridge for a cost of $130,000. The workers returned to the project Uh, with a greater confidence in the fact that, uh, that if they fell, they would be saved. The net saved the lives of 19 workers who called themselves the Halfway to Hell Club, and that net enabled them to continue to be able to perform their duties. Because the workers always knew that no matter how hard the work or how challenging the situation, they could always be confident that the net was there to protect them. Friends, something has been concerning me lately. It seems to me that the more chaotic and uncertain the world has become, the more that the winds of change are blowing, the more that culture tries to impact our work, the more that followers of Jesus are allowing those things to impact their confidence, Every day we are impacted by stories of challenge or hardship. We see the international conflict. We worry about Russia or China. We're anxious about the economy and inflation. We see the rapid decline in moral standards. We're concerned about the next generation. I've heard this so many times. Boy, if it's this bad now, how much worse will it be for our children? And then on a personal level, we deal with health crisis and relationship challenges and money issues. It is easy to feel like you are barely keeping your head above water. But friends, as followers of Jesus, we are not to have an ever-increasing fear. We are to have an ever-increasing confidence. Our faith is not dependent on the circumstances around us. It is dependent upon our great God who is there to encourage us, sustain us, and catch us when we fall. And so today, my goal is just to encourage you to be confident. Don't allow the circumstances of the world to overcome you. The Word of God is filled with promises, over 3,000 of them, that are really our safety net to catch us when we fall spiritually, and maybe even when we begin to doubt our faith. We're in this study of the book of 1 John, and we're toward the end of it. We're in 1 John chapter 4 today. And in the book of 1 John, 39 times John tells us that we know, K-N-O-W, he wants you to know that our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, and that is who we worship today, so I want to encourage you, here's the first thing I want you to be confident in, be confident in the truth of God even when it's not popular. Verse one says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There is this mistaken idea out there that we should not be discerning or judging about these things. But Jesus warns, listen, there's going to be false prophets that come. They're going to distort the truth, both inside the church and outside the church in your day-to-day life. They're going to try to convince you that there is no truth. They're going to try to convince you that what you believe is not right, and they're going to want to try to tell you that you need to be silent about what you believe. Understand, friends, there is an increasing separation between what the world wants and what the Bible instructs. First John chapter 4, verse 2 says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now has already come. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It is those who oppose Christ. There are those who oppose the teaching of the truth of God's word. That was true then. It's true today. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Amos, and God was told, he was told by God to preach to Israel about the plumb line of the truth. And the plumb line is simply a measuring device by which a standard is established. It could be used in construction or in painting. And the plumb line is what keeps you focused. Friends, Jesus Christ and His life and the Word of God is our plumb line. And there are truths in there that we have to embrace and embody and learn and know. And the longer that you are a Christian, the more in-depth you study the Word of God, you're going to be more confident in the truth of God. And and though it may not always be popular, it's our measuring device. Verse 4 says, Dear children, you're from God and overcome, uh, you dear children are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Those verses say, don't be shocked about the philosophies of the world that you keep hearing. The viewpoint of the world is going to continue to be further and further away from God, but that doesn't mean that we don't hold to the truth. Guys, listen, the truth is the truth, even if if it's not believed. Today, let's say that the, the temperature, they say, was going to be 105 degrees. Now, that's not what it says. It's going to be a beautiful day today. But let's say that's what it was. And you decide today, you're going to ignore that truth. And you wear a wool sweater and a coat and a scarf and a hat and gloves. And you sit in the worship center today. And, and you are then walking out to your car. The car now is not 105. It's like 105. 55 and you're out there and you get in you sit in that car and your ac is not working now listen you may want to ignore the truth that it is hot but friends how many can agree it's hot and it would be hot in that car you can you can ignore it but truth is still truth a light comes on in your car and it says that you have no oil and you could look at that and say you know what I don't think it's the oil. I think it's a problem with the lights. I think the, the, the check engine light is actually mistaken. And you go off on that thought and you start to drive and then you go ignore it for a few weeks and then you go on vacation and you're in the middle of the highway. And guess what happens? Your car dies, your engine locks up. You could ignore the truth about your car or you could embrace the truth, but one way or the other, you're gonna face the consequences of ignoring it. And friends, there is a fallacy out there today that says if you live by the truth, that somehow you're going uh, you're gonna, to you're gonna live a life that, um, that is a life of struggle or hardship or God won't bless you or, or people will be down on you. And it, and it is true that if you live by God's standards, that there will be those who oppose you. But listen, there's a lot of good examples of people who are living by the truth. And because of that, God's blessing them. There is a store that's out there that is not open on Sundays. A part of me wishes that it was open on Sundays. A part of me wishes that it was open 24-7. I wish it was. Do you know what that, what that store is? Oh, And I wish it was open all the time. That would be my selfish desire. But when they started the company, they said, we're not going to be open on Sundays because we're going to honor the standard of the Bible to take a day of rest, and we're going to allow the employees, if they choose, to go worship And it is not hurting the company. It it is, is in fact, flourishing. My grandfather used to say, I don't work on Sunday so that I can honor the Lord. And then he said, I've learned any money I'm going to make on Sunday, I'm going to lose on Monday. Because God's not going to reward that. Listen to a portion of this article by Forbes magazine, February 2023. It says, a multi-billionaire donor behind two unusual acts... Our ads that ran during the Super Bowl on Sunday is David Green, the founder of a national chain of craft stores and a big donor to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. In the first half of the Super Bowl game, a 30 second spot with images of children being supportive and embracing each other ran. During the fourth quarter, a 60 second ad aired with a series of black and white images of people arguing and on the verge of attacking one another, but then the ad ended with the phrase, Jesus loved the people that we hate. Both spots were in stark contrast to ads featuring fast fashion, oversized bunnies, and aging rock stars that ran during the biggest football game of the year. The article goes on to say, the group behind the Jesus-focused ads is He Gets Us, a limited liability company that says it's an initiative of the Servant Foundation, a public charity and Christian foundation based in Kansas that last year launched a $100 million effort to improve the image of Jesus, as the Washington Post reported. One of the backers of the initiative is billionaire David Green, the founder of the craft store Hobby Lobby, who is estimated by Forbes to be worth $14.8 billion. Green said later in the article, we're wanting to say we being a lot different people than he gets us, he understands all of us, he loves who we hate. So I think We have to let the public know and create a movement, really. Green is standing upon biblical principles. He is providing a countercultural message. He believes that God is the true owner of his $3 billion company. Let's understand, friends, that God does bless and honor those who stand by his word. Yes, there will be times of people that want to oppress or put people down or persecute. But I believe that when you stand by the truth, God blesses you in those efforts. Be confident, friends, that the truth will prevail. Be confident even in the midst of a world that seems so starkly different than Christ and and the morals that we believe from the Bible. Stand firm in the truth and be confident in it. Secondly, be confident in the love of God even when it's not always understood. Verse 7 and 8, says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now I know we usually think love is this romantic, uh, syrupy, sweet thing, but the biblical idea of love is commitment. It's commitment. The word is overused. I know we say I love when the breads win. I love banana splits. I love what you're wearing today. we, We say it so often we don't even Always know what it means. I told you maybe a while back, a few years ago, that Josh and I were on a phone call. We were talking about business things and church things and going from one topic to another. And at the end of the conversation, without even realizing it, I I ended the conversation by saying, okay, sounds good. Love you. And I paused, and then we both clicked off the phone. And I thought, I think I just told him I love him. He didn't call me back. But I called him back, and I was like, um, bro, that, did I just say I love you? And he was like, yeah, you did. I love you too. He wanted me to know. He said, I, he said, I, I love you. I just didn't expect you to say it. You know? I didn't expect it either. It's what you just throw in at the end of a conversation. Uh, and I do love Josh, by the way, just so you know. Just so you know. Just get it out there. But John warns, reminds everybody that love is from God, and it is a sacrificial love. It's a love not just thrown in at the end of a conversation. It is true. It is meaningful. Verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He gave his very best for you. So that despite your sin, despite your failings, that God says, I can give you hope, I can give you forgiveness. We deserve punishment. God's love offers us Christ and grace. And it is difficult for us to understand that because our love is often conditional. I love you if you do this or if you don't do that. But verse 11 says Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. God's love must be responded to, it may happen with being generous to somebody like you are generous today with those in other country. It may happen with offering forgiveness to somebody who's hurt you. It may happen with your time, maybe sacrificing it and listening to a co-worker who has problems. It may happen when somebody attacks you verbally, and instead of attacking back, you offer grace. And, And love says this is something that you do, and sometimes love calls us to refrain from doing something. Some of you guys may have heard of the comedian Jerry Clower. Uh, he passed away, but he was a Christian. It was a clean comedian. And he allowed the love of Christ to really um, impact his life. But he did say one time he was watching a high school football game. His son played football. And there was a time when his son was the field goal kicker. And it, he needed to put the ball through the uprights to win the game. And his son kicked the ball, but it went just left of the goal, and the other team won. And Clower said, sitting behind him in the stands was a very obnoxious person. And when his son missed the field goal, this person behind him started yelling all kinds of obscenities toward his son. And Clower said he stood there for a moment. He listened to all these crude remarks being made about his son. But finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He had enough. He turned around. He looked at the guy. He pointed at him. And he said, I want you to know that Jesus Christ just saved your life. And the guy said, what do you mean? And Clower said, I mean, if I weren't a Christian, I would have killed you right now. And sometimes the love of God causes us to do something. But sometimes the love of God causes us to refrain from doing something. Sometimes we hold back on a comment. That we might make that might be hurtful to somebody else because we just simply want to demonstrate the love of Christ. And sometimes the love of God makes us do something good, it makes us act in some way that helps someone, or sometimes causes us to refrain from something. But verse 20 says, We love, why? Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Who is God asking you to love today? Who is God asking you to reach out to today? To reach across a barrier, to reach across a fence, and to say something with them, to offer some act of kindness. So as Christians, we should have an ever-increasing confidence in the truth of God, and we should have an ever-increasing confidence in the love of God, but we should also have confidence in the promises of God, even when I may doubt my eternity. Verse 17 says, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Be confident. Even when you come to that moment at the end of life on the day of judgment, if you guys ever watched the show Judge Judy, um, she is spirited, man. She's great, though, but she is very quick to judge, and she will shut you down if necessary. She will yell at people, and uh, she will uh, say, uh, this is my courtroom, and this is the way that it is. And I think sometimes people think that when they get to the end of eternity, that that is going to be the way that it is, that God somehow is going to stand up on a judgment uh, bench, and he's going to just simply point out uh, in an angry voice, all of the things that you have done. But friends, for those of you who are believers in Jesus, the p- price has already been paid. The judgment has already occurred. When it comes to your salvation, you don't stand in judgment about whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. You, you just stand before God about the things that you've done in this life, the good, the bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is Due to us based on the things we've done, whether in the body, good or bad. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but we know that the answer to the questions is that Christ has forgiven us. 1 John 4:18 says, listen, when it comes to this judgment, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, when you stand before God and you know that He loves you, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. You can come before Him because of the love of God. You can know that He loves you because of the relationship you have. Let's say that one night you're hanging out with friends. It gets a little bit late. It's about 9 30, and you're, you decide you get in a topic of church. You start talking about church, and you say, hey, let's go over to, uh, to my church. I'll show you where we are. Maybe I'll show you the building and then when you get here, you think, oh, you know what? Maybe we can get in somehow. You start trying to reach the doors. And well, you can't really find one that opens. And then suddenly you find one that does open. You think, oh my goodness, they should have locked this. Then you're like, well, we're here. Might as well go in. And so you go in and you're like, well, let me just show you around a little bit. Uh, but it's dark in, in the building. And those of you, uh, some of you have said, uh, especially our children's workers, when they're here at nighttime, they'll, they'll say they hear things, you know. I'm like, well, it's It's a creaky metal building. You'll be fine, all right? You will be just fine. But now you start to hear things, and you're a little bit afraid, and, and you're not sure. And then you walk into this room, and it's completely dark in here. There's no windows in here at all. And suddenly you feel a little bit like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe we shouldn't have come through that door. Maybe the sheriff is going to come find us, and you start to kind of freak out a little bit. And then suddenly you feel like in this room that somebody's looking at you and you think, oh no, who is that that might be looking at me? I'm not really sure. I can't find the lights. And suddenly all the lights come on and Josh Romano happens to walk through the room. And you look up there and you think, oh, that's Josh. Now, what is is your feeling in that moment? Are you afraid or are you glad? Well, if you're new to Access Church, you might be afraid because you might be like, oh, no, I just broke in, breaking and entering. I broke into the church. He might kick me out. Or you might say, oh, good, I know Josh. He's a good guy. He's so magnanimous, magnanimous. And that's uh, in my notes, actually. And he's humble, and he actually loves me. And I feel good about being here. And he's like, come on in. I want to show you around. Let me show you the church. I'm so glad you guys are here. And you realize... Wow, there's no fear in love. Why? It's based on your relationship. It's based on your relationship. The more that you know the person, the less you're afraid. And friends, the more that you know God, the less that you have to fear death or eternity. Our family has been in health care for a long time. My grandparents started a nursing home in North Carolina that my mom and my aunt still own. And my dad uh, built Mason Christian Village here in Mason. And uh, he made an observation one time, which was that people who are close to death, whatever they were in life, they become more of when they get close to death. If they were angry in life, they become angrier in death. But if they were loving and gracious in life, they become so much more loving, more gracious. Toward the end of their life, and we have been around a lot of elderly people over the years, and I can tell you that is true. I've seen so many elderly people who are followers of Jesus, they just become so sweet spirited and so gracious and so loving toward the end of their life. Why? Because they are so confident that they know who loves them and they know what their eternity is. First John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever has the Son has life whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you, to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to have uncertainty about his character. He wants you to have confidence about who he is. As you're standing before God in the judgment seat, based, if you do it based on who you are, you're in trouble. But if you do it based on who Christ is and His character, and you put your faith and your trust in Him, then you stand with confidence. And that's why as a church, we want as many people as possible to connect with Christ. Only He can forgive our sins. And if a person stands before God without the benefit of knowing Christ, then there is no hope when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm promised heaven, not because I'm a preacher, not because I've done some good things in my life, not because I'm without sin. I'm promised heaven because I have a relationship with Christ and my heavenly Father. First John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you, that those who believe upon the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can have confidence in Him and in your eternity. Brian Jones, in his book, Second Guessing God, opens the book with how he had some doubts about God at the very year before he graduated from Bible college. Brian Jones writes that it's not a smart thing to do to admit that there's not a jib, big job market out there for pastors who are atheists. And then he goes on to say the, the book is a journey of his own faith walk. And then at the end, he talks about how his faith has grown. And one of the ways that it really grew was that as he had family members that were passing away, he had a recurring dream. In his dream, it happened the very first time when his grandfather died, and in that dream, Brian returns to his backyard where he grew up, and, and he would say that he would return to his home, and he'd be looking through the glass doors out into the backyard, and there was a picnic table, and each time he had this dream, the picnic table kept getting larger because more and more people were getting added to the picnic, and he would stand inside the house, and he said every time that he had the dream, after someone would pass away, That from the right side of the house, someone would come walking around to the picnic table, and he said he would see his grandfather and grandmother, and they would welcome the new arrivals. And Brian writes about his grandmother. Her face looked much younger. Uh, Her weathered lines on her face were gone, and she's laughing, and she's not wearing dentures anymore. And the first thing she does is grab an ear of corn. And so he, he talks about what he sees in his dream, and he relates that dream, and it gets more and more intense every time that he has the dream. And he says that he knows that he has the dream, and he has, it has a point. And he said the point of the dream, he's realized, is the older he gets, the more longing that he has to be at that picnic table. My desire is that I would be in eternity with the Lord. Is that your desire? Is your confidence in the promise of God increasing? Our safety net is ultimately the cross of Christ in the grave that he resurrected from. And while you may lose confidence in other people, you never need to lose confidence in our God. We may have circumstances that challenge us, or people that irritate us, or physical issues that suddenly plague us, or finances that discourage us. But if you understand the truth of God, and you know the love of God, and you understand the hope or eternity that we have with God, then all the rest of those things are very minor in comparison. I love 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. God, we give you thanks today that you give us confidence, no matter what we face in this life. And so God, allow us as your people to not walk around downcast and surprised about the things that are happening in our world, but instead, God, to walk into these things with confidence, knowing that as the world becomes darker or bleaker, the light of Christ can shine brighter, that we as your followers, God, can be people who have an increasing confidence in your love, in your truth, and in in our ultimate destiny in heaven. God, thank you for the promises we have in Christ.